You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Growing up, like many of you, there were a lot of things that I had to have. Uh, Most of these things were fads, but at the time, all I knew was I had to have them. Uh, As a kid, something inside of me would get hooked, and i become fixed on wanting it, obsessing even over getting it. Now, there's, there's somewhat of an age spread in this room. So not all of you may know what these, these things are, but I made a top 10 list from uh, elementary school all the way to high school, and these are some of the things that I really, really wanted. And full disclosure, this morning I ended up getting these things uh, in some way or another. So here we go. Number 10, really young, Beanie Babies. <laughs> I'll remember those. Uh, number 9, Tamagotchis. Anyone knows, knows what those are? All right. Uh, number eight, real pets. So that's, that's a good progression, I guess, from uh, a virtual pet and a stuffed animal to real pets. Number seven, Pokemon cards. Uh, number six, we're getting to middle school now, frosted tips. Uh, it's a bad couple of years for many of us. Still in middle school, number five, Nice clothes. Um, Number four, a fast car, high school. Uh, Number three, more athletic skill. Number two, creatine, proteins, and other supplements that won't be named. Uh, And then finally, number one, a prom date. Uh, (laughs) Each of these things I really wanted I had to have them. There was something inside of me that would get hooked. I would just obsess. No matter what was happening, I just had to have these things. No matter the cost, I had to try to get it. Now, I'm sure that in your lives, there were a lot of things that you had to have too. I would be interested in laughing later to hear some of those. But in our passage this morning, We're going to see up close and personal the very thing that Moses, one of the most important characters in the Bible, was obsessed over. The thing he had to have, that there was something inside of him that just made him obsess over having it. It didn't matter the cost, he just had to have it. And that thing this morning is a thing called the glory of God. He wanted to experience and know God continually in a deep and a profound and a real way. He had to have that. There was something inside of him that just got hooked, that just got obsessed, no matter the cost. He knew that that was the purpose of life. He knew that life was meaningless without the glory of God. He knew that success was not success without the presence of God. He knew that only in the face of God were the deepest longings of the human soul satisfied. And this morning, it's the same for us. Whether we know it or not, we are all after 
the glory of God. We're all looking for it. We all need it. We all desperately are seeking it. And so that's really the main idea of this passage and really the main idea of my message this morning. And it's going to be up on the screen and it's this. We were made for the glory of God. We are made for the glory of God. We're made to know him, to be loved by him, to see that he's behind every sunset that creates a longing in us every mountain that screams at us to climb it, every piece of artwork that hits us, we are created for the glory of God. My points are going to flow right from the text, and they're going to be up on the screen as well. And they're as follows. Number one, needing the glory of God. Number two, experiencing the glory of God. And finally, number three, finding the glory of God. Now, for those of you who are joining us perhaps for the first time, or maybe you've been in and out, uh, we've been studying the book of Exodus. And last week we saw a very low, low, low point in the life of the Hebrew people. God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and he's proved himself over and over to be good, to be God. And as the people are traveling out of Egypt to the land promised to them, God is caring for them. He's providing for them. He's even getting Egypt, the old ways, out of his people. And on the way to the promised land, Moses goes up to this mountain, and he meets God. It's a powerful moment. There's smoke, there's lightning, there's thunder. God is welcoming his people into relationship with himself. They'll be his people, he'll be their God, and he will dwell in the midst of them, in the middle of their lives. But on the way down, Moses hears a really loud party. It's not a good party. This is a bad party. And as he scales down the mountain, he sees a massive golden calf. And the people are worshiping this golden calf. They've essentially turned back to the gods of Egypt. They've turned their back on the God who's proved himself over and over to them. They've thrown his goodness into the fire. And this proves to be the biggest moment of defeat in the book of Exodus. It's game over. It's a total failure. And so God is furious, and he should be. And so what we saw last week was Moses scales up the mountain again, and he's going to plead with God. He pleads that it wouldn't be game over. He asks for grace. He asks for mercy. He appeals to God's good and gracious character. And what we saw last week is that God remembers his mercy. He remembers his grace. He remembers his goodness. And it's not a total game over for the Hebrew people. But he does say something very interesting, which really leads us to our first point this this morning, needing the glory of God. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, 
and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So Moses is on the mountain of God, and he's just pleaded with God to show mercy. God does, but then God says this. He essentially says, resume the journey to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. In effect, God's saying, this intimate relationship, this relationship, it's not going to work. He's basically saying, you're throwing my goodness into the fire. So here's the deal. I'm going to send a lesser angel. This is not the angel of the Lord, this special angel in the Old Testament that's referred to as God. This is a simple angel. God's going to send this simple angel, and he or she will make sure you get into the land. You'll be economically successful. You'll be militarily successful. You'll be politically successful. But I'm not going to be involved. I'm done. Now, I say this kindly, but this is the setup that the average American Christian wants. (laughs) Belief in God, help from God when they need it, but not God in the middle of their lives. They want all the benefits, but they don't want their entire lives revolving around him. Said another way, most people want success. They want God to give them the victory. They want the promised land. They want the community. But they don't want God. They don't want him. They don't want the tabernacle in the middle of their camp. They want all the benefits of the existence of God, but none of the maintenance costs, like sacrifice and accountability and commitment and repentance and worship. Now, the people hear this arrangement, and this is not what they want. They don't want this arrangement. They have seen the goodness of God. And so the text goes on to say in verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And Moses won't have it either. In verse 15, Moses says to God directly, if your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up from here. What he's saying is that if we don't have your glory, if we don't have your presence, it would be better to just die here in the desert. He's saying if God is not going to go with them, then he'd rather just have them all wither away and die in the desert. So God's people here, not happy. And Moses, their leader, basically says, if this is the arrangement, it's not going to work. It's not worth it. Now, this really brings us to a major point of application this morning, and it's this. We need the glory of God. We need the presence of God in our lives. This passage exposes something true all throughout the Bible, and that's that human life is meaningless without the glory and presence of God in our lives. We need the glory of God. We need his presence deeply in our lives. Now, the average reader may look at this passage and say, my presence will not go with you. I thought God was everywhere. And yes, that's true. God is omnipresent. 
But just like Moses saw it, there's a distinction between the omnipresence of God, the everywhere presence of God, and the glory presence of God, knowing and experiencing him personally. And Moses is saying here that all the success, all the victory, a land flowing with milk and honey, but without God personally is meaningless. He'd rather die. He'd rather die because he knows the answer to the philosophical question of why are we here? The answer to that massive question is we were created and we are here to know and experience God, to glorify him. The deepest longing of the human heart is to know God, to enjoy him. Our physical eyes are meant to say to our spiritual eyes, not this or that, but the maker of this or that. He is the desire of your soul. He will give you rest. And all the beauties of life, all the loves, all the pleasures, all the joys we've ever known, everything we've sought after, we have sensed something. It's an echo of something massive. It's the glory of God, God himself who we are created to know and to be loved by, who's better than all the riches of Egypt and all the wealth and power of the promised land. And we can know him this morning by the one who makes him known, Jesus Christ, who gives us his spirit, the spirit of the living God who lives inside of us, who calls us, who know him, his temples, his tabernacles, where his presence dwells. Which really leads us up to point number two this morning, experiencing the glory of God. Moses now continues his conversation with God directly. Verse 15, and Moses said to the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So God says he's going to set them up militarily and politically for power and success. He's going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, he's going to give them power and wealth, but he's not coming. He's done. But then Moses, he pleads here with God. First, he appeals to God's grace. He and the people found favor with God or grace in the sight of God. They're special to God. But interestingly, he appeals to God's design for his people. God's design is that his people that know him throughout all generations throughout all centuries, are distinct, that they're unique. And Moses says here that if God doesn't go with him, if his presence is not in their lives, then they're not going to be ultimately distinct. They're not going to be unique. And God says essentially, yep, you got it. You figured it out. You're right. And he changes course. He says, I'll go with them now. Now, it's interesting because Moses is confessing to God here that his blessings, 
these little glories, in this sense, the promised land, military success, some power, wealth, that these little glories are not the same as his presence, his own glory in their lives. Moses knew that being a powerful nation with wealth would make them distinct, but without God, not really. He knew that these little glories like power and wealth could make them somewhat distinct, but not in the way that God's own glory and presence in their lives would. And so he pleads with God here, and God responds. Now this leads us to another major application point this morning, and that's this. Our ultimate identity flows from Christ in us, the hope of glory. Our ultimate identity flows from Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I get that from Colossians 1.27. When we enter into a conversation about being distinct and being unique, we are in the realm of identity. And Moses here is using an identity argument with God. God's offered the identity markers of wealth in power, but without himself. And Moses says, no thanks. The reason is because he knew that all those, these, these things might be little glories. They don't ultimately bestow on us ultimate glory, ultimate importance, ultimate significance. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod, and it means weightiness. It can also mean significance or importance. And as human beings, we cannot live without significance. We cannot live without some level of importance. We cannot live with some degree of glory. We need assurance that we matter. Some of us look for this glory or this significance or this importance professionally. We look for it in our jobs, in our finances. We're trying to achieve We love when people come up to us and say, you're really good at your job. Uh, We love the prospect of the idea that someone gets our resume and says, you're the best in the business and hires us. It makes us feel like we're real, like we're here, like we matter, like what we're doing matters. We need that as human beings, the significance, importance. Others of us perhaps are looking for it in more traditional ways, maybe romantically. We look for it in relationships. We're wanting someone to say, I love you. I missed you. It makes us feel real, like we matter to somebody. We can't live without glory. We can't live without significance. We can't live without some level of importance. So much so that if we meet someone in life who is saying, I don't matter to anyone, I'm unseen. Our alarms go off in our heads because we know something is wrong. A person cannot live without a sense of glory, a sense of significance, a sense of importance. But Moses knew all these little glories fade. All of these things fade away. We grow old. We retire out. Love can be interrupted. People pass away. And not only is that true, but these things fade us. If we build our identities around things like work and money, it'll drive us to the ground. It'll consume us. 
But with God, there's another type of glory. It's an unfading glory. It's an ultimate glory. And to know him this morning is to be significant. To know him this morning is to be loved forever. To know him this morning is to be important. We all grew up being taught it doesn't matter what people think about you. That's true. But it's also true it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. The only thing that matters is what he thinks. And today we can reach out for that glory. We can build our lives on that glory. A glory that is found in Jesus Christ of whom the New Testament says is the radiance of all of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. Which really leads us to our third and final point this morning, finding this glory. Moses appeals to God to come with them. God says yes, but Moses wants more. Verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft or a crevice of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses knew glory. He saw degrees of God's glory at the burning bush, on the mountain, but he wanted more. And he says here, show me your glory. The idea there is he wants to see the face of God. Of course, it's a metaphor. To see the face of God means to see the full weightiness of God, to see the full significance of God, to see the full importance of God, but most of all, to see the beauty of God. The beauty of God is who he is and all of his attributes, his power, his wisdom, his holiness, his essential nature, his character, his existence now and forever. It's beautiful because like beauty, it's an end in and of itself. It's satisfying in and of itself because it's God. And notice the Lord answers. Moses wants to see his glory and the Lord answers and he says no. <laughs> but not fully no. He says if Moses sees him fully, he will die. But what God says is he'll show him his back. It's another kind of metaphor. God's saying Moses will see a degree of his glory, but not the full thing. And in chapter 34, of course, the next chapter, God himself appears before Moses. And it's not in a flash of lights, but it's primarily through words. It says this in verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God appears in this form, and it's not all lights and smoke. And to show him his glory, he speaks a word about who he is. And the essence of that word is that God is both merciful and forgiving, and at the same time, he's just. He doesn't just wink at sin. In other words, God says to Moses, do you want to see my glory? And he says, this is the essence of my glory. I'm absolutely forgiving. I'm absolutely gracious. I'm absolutely merciful. I'm absolutely good, but I'm absolutely just. And I will absolutely punish sin. I will not let people off the hook. Now, this doesn't make any sense. It's a bit of a contradiction. But this is God speaking. And verse 8 tells us, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Now, this really leads us to our last and final really big takeaway this morning, which is this. To find the glory of God is to know Jesus Christ. To find the glory of God is to know Jesus Christ. God shows his glory to Moses, and he speaks this declaration over him about himself. Moses wants to see God's beauty, and God shows him some of his glory. He shows it through this declaration. But as mentioned, it seems like a contradiction. Is God going to punish and not forget the sins? Or is he going to forgive because he's compassionate? Is he going to punish the second and third and fourth generation? Or is he going to forgive and show grace? Which one is it? Well, this morning we find a solution to this contradiction by looking to none other than Jesus Christ. John's gospel says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son of God who came from the Father. When the Son of God was born into the world as Jesus Christ, he had been staring at the face of God for all eternity. He had all the glory. He had all the significance, all the importance, all the weightiness. But on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, God turns his face away from his son. In a sense, Jesus was stripped of his glory. He temporarily loses his significance, his weightiness, his importance. And then he dies on a cross. The only innocent one for the guilty ones. So that we could have significance. So that we could have importance. So that we could have glory that we might be forgiven in the eyes of God. That's the point of God only showing his back here in the book of Exodus. He's not showing the full picture. It's a puzzle. It's missing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is this. God is absolutely just, and he is absolutely loving. And you can't do that any other way except in the mystery of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
where God's justice is poured out in full, where God takes our sin on himself, where he dies in our place, and all because he loves us. All the sacrifice, all the pain, because he's gracious, because he chose to forgive us, to take our penalty in his body on the cross. To experiencing his glory, to feel his glory, is to be totally struck by his beauty. And this morning, let's look no further than the face of God and the humble Jesus Christ, who is the glory of God. To know him is to find God's glory. To experience him is to experience all the beauty of God, all the grace of God that we all long for. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.